Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Everything's 5x4. I'm your host Steve and this episode is called I'm on another level. I've gone beyond. Uh, so unlike previous episodes, I will not be discussing five randomly selected topics for four minutes apiece. Instead, I will be discussing baseball, beer, books, soccer, and TV for four minutes apiece. So I figured the episode title was kind of fittingly mocking being dramatic about changing the show format. Um, it's from a peep show episode where Mark is bullying while high. So that's kind of a simple explanation, but it's just being overdramatic. Anyway, uh, there's no random number generator this week. So um, I don't know. Lucky for you, unlucky for you. This episode will be a little bit shorter than usual. And let's just go right into it. Okay, so there's a lot to talk about with baseball, as always. Um, and I'm actually not going to talk about the Olympics this week. Maybe save that for next week once the games have actually been played. But I wanted to go back to the All-Star break a little bit. And I think all this year, um, it continued on in the All-Star game. But I think all this year, uh, Shohei Otani has been getting a lot of hype. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has been getting a lot of hype, and there's been a lot of backlash for that. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to get into that. Um, we're not even going to get into um, some more insidious reasons of why that might be happening. Um, I think, you know, people just kind of are sick of certain players being hyped, but there's a reason for it. So Shohei Otani is currently leading the American League in homers second in slugging and OPS, third in RBI. He's first in overall baseball reference wins above re replacement and fan graphs wins above replacement. And his pitching numbers, he has a 3.21 ERA. He's on pace for 150 strikeouts. His pitching baseball reference war is 2.3. Um, so he's really good. People say he's doing something that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth. That's not technically true, but you can go back to Martin DeHigo uh, with New York Cubans and Negro Leagues. In 1935, he put up a 2.75 ERA in eight starts and a 9.78 OPS in 42 games. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Otani is already doing big, has already done bigger than that in um, you know fewer games and half a season obviously negro leagues were at a disadvantage in terms of not playing as many games but the point is otani is doing something incredible and deserves all that hype regardless of what the backlash says vlad jr uh getting into him he's 22 which you've heard plenty of times um you know courtesy of of joe buck i mean that's the joke joe buck kept saying that about juan soto but <laughs> So Vlad Jr. is second in the American League in batting average. He's leading in on-base percentage and slugging percentage, as well as RBI. He's second in home runs, and he leads in OPS. So if you know about baseball and can put those together, he is a contender for both uh, the, the Triple Crown and the Slash Line Triple Crown. Um, you know, the traditional triple crown is batting average home runs and RBI. The slash line triple crown is average on base percentage and slugging percentage. Um, and just to tell you how rare that is, only three players have done it since World War II. 
Uh, Carl Yastrzemski won both in 1967. Frank Robinson won both in 1966. And Ted Williams won both in 1947. All of them were 28 or older. Vlad Jr. is 22. So, yeah, he deserves the hype. Um, I also, uh, while we're talking about All-Stars, though, I want to get to Liam Hendricks. Liam Kendricks probably has some FCC issues now for being mic'd up, not realizing he was mic'd up and cursing while on the mound, but that's kind of what you're going to get out of a closer. He was the first White Sox pitcher to earn a save in the All-Star game since 1954, which was actually rewarded awarded retroactively to Virgil Trucks um, because the save rule didn't come around until 1969, but it still goes in the official record. So anyway, Liam Hendricks did something a White Sox pitcher hasn't done in almost 70 years. That is not as great as what Otani or Vlad Jr. are doing, but it's still pretty cool. Okay, time to talk about beer. So unfortunately, my beer of the month subscription, subscription, there we go. Um, I'm just going to roll into my mistakes this time instead of re-recording. So uh, enjoy that. Um, I'm the Stugats of podcasts, apparently. Anyway, uh, (laughs) so um, the last of my beers of the month subscription um, was this past month. So I just have a couple uh, to talk about that I hadn't talked about yet. Um, I don't think they're anything particularly special, but they were both pretty good beers, uh, good examples of their styles. So first, uh, Nebraska Brunette Brown Ale, um, Nebraska Brewing, actually not based in Omaha. Um, but yeah, they uh, their Brunette Brown Ale was pretty good. It uh, is more a nut brown ale, really. It had a kind of a medium brown color. You get the caramel and malt smell. A lot of nuttiness on the nose. Um, a bit of a trace of smokiness on the finish. Uh, the second taste, second time I had it, though, uh, more nuttiness on both the nose and the finish. Still goes down smoothly. Really good nut brown ale. Uh, but, you know, a lot of nut brown ales kind of taste same-ish, I guess. Um, moving on, I also had uh, Mad Tree Happy Amber Ale from out of Cincinnati. Uh, So that is a medium amber color, kind of a pleasant mild hop smell. Uh, It's it's got a really good balance on the nose, Um, full bodied, malty, little more hoppiness than most amber ales, a little more bitterness on the finish too. Um, But I think it's it's a well, uh, well balanced amber ale with the hops of a pale ale. Um, so yeah, those were, those were two that I had. What I'm probably going to do here, um, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it every week, uh, but I'm going to try to start going to breweries again. I had a plan pre-COVID of going to every brewery in Broward County. Um, I think it's about time that I get back to that, uh, especially because I am going to start having um, both Saturdays and Sundays off again, at least every other week next month. So I'm pretty excited about that. That does mean there's going to be, well, I'll, I'll get to that at the end. There'll be an impact on the podcast a little bit. Um, so beer this week is actually pretty short. It's more like 
everything's five by less than four because I'm only at three minutes here, but I'm going to finish this segment before I just trail off into nothingness. Okay, and for books, I'm actually going to talk about Let's think of the most pretentious possible way to say this. The oeuvre of Tiffany Jackson. So her bibliography. So Tiffany Jackson is on that new wave of YA writers, um, black YA writers, young and talented and putting out a lot of good, meaningful work. Uh, so she's in that group with Jason Reynolds, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas. She's actually putting out a compilation with Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, Nicola Yoon, Ashley Woodfolk, and Danielle Clayton called Blackout. Or actually, it just came out last month. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet because one of the funny things about working at a library is you don't get your books straight away. They usually go through collection management, and etc. Um, so I'm usually a little behind on that. <laughs> But Tiffany Jackson's books, I think they sort of stand apart. She uses a lot of themes that are people can say are ripped from the headlines or bigger issues or issue novels. Uh, you know, talking about things like sexual harassment and assault, celebrity worship, kidnapping, domestic violence, the issues with the juvenile justice system. So that's all pretty dark. But I think what makes it interesting, her she actually worked in TV and film for many years before she became a YA novelist. And I think her books sort of have that film or TV scope to them, kind of a cinematic feel. And it's also interesting, um, again, not to, um, to separate the author from the work a bit, so I actually did have the opportunity to speak to Tiffany Jackson and do an interview with her. And she is actually just almost, you don't want to use the word bubbly because it kind of has a negative connotation to it, but she's just kind of a very positive kind of upbeat person. So it's sort of interesting that, that her books kind of have a very dark side to them, but getting into, I think what makes them, makes them interesting is they deal with all these issues, but they also kind of play with time and with chrono uh, chronologies. So all of her books chronologically are written in sort of with a vague timeline. Like some things are happening currently, some things happened in unspecified time in the past, other things happened before them. And then you just kind of dip in and out of, out of time. So they're realistic fiction, but they kind of play with time. She also tends to use unreliable narrators, not um, people who are bad people generally, but usually are victimized by abuse or and are experiencing PTSD or other mental health issues. And it gives kind of a twist usually to the narration. So her books, um, allegedly, Monday's Not Coming, Let Me Hear Rhyme and Groan. She's put out four. I've read all of them. They're all very good. And they all take on those bigger issues and they all, you know, have a black protagonist um, who's usually a teenager and they, yeah, they just, uh, they, they just kind of all work separately. They all discuss different things. Um, Monday's Not Coming actually inspired um, 
some change and, uh, you know, brought a focus to uh, Girls Missing in D.C. in particular. She's from Brooklyn. Most of her books are set there, but she also lived in D.C. for a bit. Uh, but they're all really good. It's hard to pick a favorite. Uh, definitely check out her work for something that's a YA novel, but just uh, realistic fiction, but done a bit differently. Okay, so as usual, soccer, uh, I've got a lot to get to. Um, I'm first actually going to start with the Chicago Red Stars. So earlier I was, I was planning on doing a whole Chicago soccer episode, but I'm just going to talk about the Red Stars. So the Red Stars have won three games in a row. That's good news. The not necessarily bad news, but more interesting news is in those three games, the Red Stars, five of their goals have been own goals. So own goal is actually the leading scorer for the the Red Stars this season. Um, And believe it or not, five own goals over the course... um, of an entire season is the NWSL uh, record. So no team in NWSL history has scored more than four own goals in a season. And the Red Scars have had five over three games. Um, So again, this is, I'm talking about this in the positive sense of own goals in that you score a goal because the other team put it in their own net. (laughs) So it's, it's been interesting, but it has brought the Red Stars all the way up to second place because the National Women's Soccer League uh, is very competitive and crazy. Uh, the Red Stars are in second, but actually only two points out of seven, seventh place, which misses the playoffs as the top six make it. So it's going to be a pretty interesting rest of the season. They've lost several key players to Olympic duty, but they still have Kalia Watt and Mallory Pugh up top. Um, who both have U.S. Women's National Team experience. Uh, Morgan Gautra in the center, um, who has been a U.S. Women's National Team regular in the past. And just solid pros like Vanessa DiBernardo, uh, Sarah Gordon, and Danielle Coprico. So I think the Red Stars uh, you know, aren't going to be hurt as much by uh, players going to the Olympics as some teams, even though they're losing the quality of players like Alyssa Nair. Eh, Alyssa Nair, wow. <laughs> Julie Ertz um, and Casey Kruger. And, oh yeah, Tierna Davidson too. So losing four players in the Olympics, but I think they're still in pretty good shape. And I look forward to the rest of the season. The fire are a mess. Um, I'm not going to get into all that. That deserves four minutes on its own. But I do want to talk about Venezia FC again. So Venezia FC has an American owner. And... They are bringing some American players in uh, as they go up to Syria. Ah, so they're going to be in Syria. Ah, all their games are going to be on Paramount Plus here in the states, and you'll be able to watch Tanner Tessman and Gianluca Busio. Although I'm going to talk about Tanner Tessman first. He's 19. Um, that was officially confirmed by Venezia all over social media. He's made a USM MNT appearance. He's an FC Dallas Academy product who you might know Weston McKinney and Chris Richards came from there um, and are now successful in Europe. Um, Gianluca Busio, it's kind of a silly season thing, as they say about transfer season, because it isn't official. It's been confirmed several times off the record. He's with Sporting KC still now, a product of their youth system. He actually has an Italian father, so 
doesn't have to go through a whole complicated process to get there. Um, and he recently debuted for the U.S. men's national team. Um, so, yeah, I think it, that just gives an extra layer of excitement to being able to watch Venezia this season. Um, I'm also going to call myself out real quick. I missed the FC Surge match. They're the local women's soccer team who play in the WPSL, the second division. Uh, they won their conference. They were really good. So maybe I'm kind of local local soccer hypocrite for not managed to go managing to go out and see them this year but hopefully next year okay for tv um i took a break from watching futurama in order and did my uh, july 4th tradition of watching the taste of freedom episode it's kind of non-stop political satire and funny quotes the essence of the episode is that zoidberg eats the Erfican flag um so you have a lot of people uh, who are mad about that nixon has a quote in there um, my fellow Irfikans, we enjoy so much freedom. It's sickening. Uh, that kind of defines a lot of the episode. Um, and then Zoeberg use lighting the flag on fire to destroy the mobile oppression palace of his people taking over the earth. Um, saying the quote, yes, I'm desecrating a flag, but to preserve the freedom it represents. You know, so it kind of has a little bit of a message behind it, but I always watch it again. There's just zaps and competence. There's a lot of funny quotes by Zoidberg, a lot of funny quotes by um, Richard Nixon's head, uh, Hermes Fry, Bender, all weighing with some interesting stuff here. So it's just, it's a classic Futurama episode. It's probably in my top 10 ever, but I watch it every 4th of July because, yeah, it's kind of fitting to watch on 4th of July. Um, all right, but I'm going to move into the Emmys a bit. Uh, there's way too much to talk about and unpack there. So I just want to acknowledge the shows that I actually watched that got nominated. So Handmaid's Tale got a lot of nominations, deservedly so. I've talked before about this season. It's been very intense, but it was very good. Um, just still firing on all cylinders, even after it's past the point of uh, the book. Um, that Margaret Atwood wrote. So, you know, they're still doing well. This is us um, continues, um, you know, continues to be strong. Although it's, it's kind of interesting um, with going back to handmaid's tale, handmaid's tale has three supporting actor and three supporting actress nominations. So it's a whole lot of people competing against each other, which is weird. Um, this is us again, remain strong. I'm glad that this is uh, next season's going to be their last though. Cause you know, it's getting to the point where, Hey, you want the show to go out, go out on a positive note. Uh, Bridgerton, uh, Queen's Gambit, Hamilton, WandaVision all got nominations. Uh, I.D. Bryant got one for Shrill. Uh, the one that kind of annoys me a little bit is William H. Macy for Shameless. I thought his work in this season was actually pretty good, even though the overall product of Shameless was was not. It was not as bad a last season as some other shows or last episode as some other shows, but yeah, you could tell it was going downhill in quality. And to be honest, I think it's wild that William H. Macy has gotten so much credit for that show when Emmy Rossum carried it for a long time as Fiona. And I feel like it was kind of an injustice that she didn't get um, some nominations or some awards and he kind of kept getting recognized every year. So that's my little soapbox there. I also noticed there were a lot of nominations for um, for Ted Lasso, Lovecraft Country, and The Crown. The Crown actually led with 24 nominations. Um, 
those are all shows I've kind of been interested in watching. I really hope it's easier to get Apple Plus. I tried and it was very frustrating. If you do not have an iPhone or iTunes, it really shouldn't be that way as a streaming service. You're supposed to cater to the general public rather than just people who use your products. But again, get off my soapbox there. But Ted Lasso, I've heard good things about from, of course, soccer fans universally, but even people who aren't sports fans have seemed to like it. So one way or the other, I look forward to watching that. Lovecraft Country, I've heard great things about. Um, it seems like it might be really depressing, but I think I'm probably going to eventually give that a shot uh, once I get HBO Max. And uh, that's about all I've got for TV. And that does it for episode 20 of Everything's 5x4. Um, thank you for listening, and I hope people enjoyed the new format. No random number generator, just kind of getting to the point right off the bat. And about five topics that I feel like are a little bit easier for me to discuss aren't, aren't a battle each week. Um, so yeah, it's just baseball, beer, so, uh, books, soccer, and TV now. Um, so again, hope you, hopefully you enjoy that new format, a little bit of something for everybody every week, I think. And, uh, again, if you want to get in touch with me and tell me you liked the show, tell me you hated the show, tell me you liked the new format, tell me you hated the new format, just whatever. Because uh, most of my email ends up being, um, yeah, spam, <laughs> or just saying, "Oh, you have a you have a new Twitter login," and it's like, "Yeah, that was me." Um, <laughs> but you can email me at everything's five by four at gmail.com. That's everything's no apostrophe five x four at gmail.com. And um, yeah, uh, so again, apologies for my terribly unprofessional. Um, screw-ups in terms of pronunciations and other very Stugatzian things, uh, stumbling over my words, etc. But you know what you're getting out of me. And uh, so, but anyway, hope you enjoyed it. And as always, thank you for listening and keep everything five by four. Thanks. <laughs>